You're listening to the Quince podcast. In a move that has triggered anger and disbelief in equal parts across social media by legal experts, the opposition parties, climate activists and even the Samyukt Kisan Morcha, Delhi police on 13 February arrested 21-year-old climate activist Disha Ravi from a Bengaluru residence on charges of creating and sharing a toolkit on the farmers' protest that was posted by international climate activist Greta Thunberg. Disha Ravi's arrest marks the first arrest in an FIR filed by the Cybercrime Unit of Delhi police, which was registered against the creators of the toolkit on 4 February. Delhi police is statement claimed that Ravi was a co-conspirator in the toolkit's formulation and in this process collaborated with pro-Khalistani Poetic Justice Foundation to spread disaffection against the Indian state. Now Ravi has denied being part of any conspiracy and said that she didn't create the toolkit and just made two edits to it. She was produced before a magistrate in Delhi on Sunday 14 February who remanded her to five days of police custody. Disha Ravi's case raises questions on the legality of her arrest and the process which Delhi police followed and over and above questions whether the offences that she and others are accused of are even made out. To understand the legalities of her arrest, for today's episode you'll hear from Dr. N.C. Asthana, a retired IPS officer and the former DGP of Kerala, and Rebecca John, a senior law advocate. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Himmat. So who is Disha Ravi exactly and what link does she have to Greta Thunberg? A graduate of Mount Carmel College in Bengaluru, Disha Ravi was the voice of India at the Global Climate Week event organized by Fridays for Future, FFF, in September 2020. FFF is a global climate strike movement started by Swedish environment activist Greta Thunberg. The movement encourages students to strike demanding urgent action on climate change. Ravi was part of the FFF movement's international MAPA wing. MAPA stands for Most Affected People in Areas, meaning countries and peoples of the developing world who bear the brunt of carbon emissions and climate change. In September 2020, in an opinion piece for Thomson Reuters Foundation, which she co-authored with two other global climate change activists of FFF, Ravi wrote presciently, stating, and I'm quoting her here, Despite being on the climate front lines, young activists in our countries also face the injustices of persecution at home and being ignored in international media. Now, moving on to her arrest on 13 February, what were the grounds for it? According to a statement released on 14 February by Delhi police, and I'm quoting it here, she, Ravi, was one of the editors of the toolkit Google Doc and a key conspirator in the document's formulation and dissemination. The statement further reads, she was the one who shared the toolkit document with Greta Thunberg. Later, she asked Greta to remove the main doc after its incriminating details accidentally got into public domain. This is many times more than a two-line edit she claims she did. Ravi denied being part of any conspiracy and that she did not know any such groups. She stated, and I quote, I was just supporting farmers. I supported farmers because they are our future and we all need to eat. On 15 February, Delhi police also issued two non-bailable warrants against two more climate activists, namely Nikita Jacob and Shantanu in the matter. In response to the warrants, according to an ANI report, Nikita Jacob, a lawyer and climate activist, has filed a transit bail plea in Bombay High Court. The matter will be heard on 16 February. Even as two more arrests are impending, what has raised eyebrows in Disha Ravi's case is the process which Delhi police has followed. However, Dr. N.C. Astana, a retired IPS officer, believes that it is highly unlikely that Delhi police did not follow the procedure. 
and the official details will be made available in due time. I am given to understand from media reports that they followed the correct procedure. It is unlikely. You see, in, in such cases, uh, the official version is not forthcoming, but I have reasons to believe that uh, it's not like, you see, people may be accused of ignorance of the judgments of the High Court and the Supreme Court. Going to another state and arresting people there is now 132-year-old thing. The CRPC was passed in 1898. They are not likely to have committed any mistake in that. These are old things. Everybody, every Daroga knows this. He may not have read the Kedarnath judgment. You see, that's a very judgment written in ornate Victorian English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a constitution pen judgment. And once upon a time, they used to write beautiful English. It's a very complicated English, a long judgment. I can understand if a SHO of Delhi police has never, never even seen the judgment. But as far as these procedural aspects are concerned, these are the bread and butter. Senior advocate Rebecca John has criticized the duty magistrate's order remanding Ravi without first ensuring that she was being represented by legal counsel of her choice and opined that she should only have been remanded a single day of custody till production before the regular magistrate. The failure to secure legal representation was particularly noted by John speaking to the Quint. If you ask me whether the actions of the Delhi police was illegal, I will categorically say no. Uh, Was it improper? Yes, it was. Uh, So there is a letter of the law and there is a spirit of the law. They have not violated the letter of the law by arresting her in Bangalore and bringing her here because they did produce her before the magistrate within 24 hours. So they have not violated it. And the word transit remand appears nowhere in the Code of Criminal Procedure. It is just a practice which has developed over the years a practice which is endorsed by courts. In fact, courts expect you, uh, if you are arresting somebody outside your jurisdiction, to first take her to uh, the magistrate uh, in whose jurisdiction she resides, take a transit remand, and then come to, uh, uh, to, to, to Delhi or wherever else you are taking such a person. Uh, there was uh, no reason why the Delhi police uh, could not have produced her before the relevant magistrate in Bangalore. And in that, I would say it is in it is in breach of the guidelines which the Delhi High Court, the division bench of the Delhi High Court itself issued in December 2019 in a case called Sandeep Kumar versus State, where the division bench of the Delhi High Court uh, in matters relating to outstation arrests made certain very telling observations. And I'd like to read them out, read out uh, the same to you. One, the arrested person must be given an opportunity to consult his lawyer before he's taken out of state. So this is with respect to uh, events in Bangalore. Was she given an opportunity to consult her lawyer in Bangalore? I don't know. Two, endeavor should be made to obtain transit remand after producing the arrestee before the nearest magistrate unless exigencies of the situation warrant otherwise. What were these exigencies? What were the compelling reasons that prevented you from producing her before a local magistrate in Bangalore? As I said, it's not an absolute mandate of the law, but even the judgment of the Delhi High Court says we would be happier, it would be better if you produced the arrestee before her nearest magistrate and obtain transit remand before you come to the court of jurisdiction. So there is another violation there. 
Then the Delhi High Court goes on to say that the magistrate before whom the arrestee is produced must apply his mind to the facts of the case and should not grant transit remand mechanically. He must satisfy himself that there exists material in the form of entries in the case diary that justifies the prayer for transit remand. Once again, reinforcing the need to produce such an accused person before the magistrate within whose jurisdiction that arrestee resides. Now, even the transit magistrate, the Delhi High Court says, must apply its mind to the facts and circumstances of the case and not grant transit remand mechanically. You have done away with that stage completely. And finally, it says that another mandatory procedural requirement for the magistrate considering a transit remand application is spelled out in Article 22.1 of the Constitution of India. This entitles a person arrested to be informed as soon as may be the grounds of such arrest. The Delhi police claims that they did so, and I have no reason to disbelieve them. The magistrate has to ensure that the arrested person is not denied the right to consult and to be defended by a legal practitioner of his choice. And this is where I have a problem. Several youth-based environmental collectives have condemned her arrest, calling the charges of sedition and conspiracy baseless. Senior Congress leader P. Chidambaram said, and I quote, the Indian state must be standing on very shaky foundations if Disha Ravi, a 22-year-old student of Mount Caramel College and a climate activist, has become a threat to the nation. Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal said, and I quote, the arrest of a 21-year-old Disha Ravi is an unprecedented attack on democracy. Supporting our farmers is not a crime. Even Shiv Sena's Priyanka Chaturvedi condemned Disha's arrest and said that the nation is stronger than the toolkit the young activist has been arrested for. Disha Ravi has been charged with conspiring to cause violence in the national capital for sedition under Section 124A of the IPC, wantonly giving provocation with intent to cause riot under Section 153, promoting enmity between different groups, Section 153A, and criminal conspiracy, that is Section 120B. Rebecca John weighs on the charges filed by Delhi police, particularly the issue of sedition. I'm not going to go into the specific facts of the case, but the law on sedition is very clear. And that law was laid down back in the 60s when, the, when a constitution bench judgment of the Supreme Court pronounced for anyone who's willing to read that judgment that unless the act uh, is accompanied by violence or there is a propensity to cause violence, it will not be seditious. Even raising slogans, and if you remember in the 90s, there were a slew of cases uh, from Punjab where the allegation was that they raised slogans which were clearly anti-India slogans, uh, even that the Supreme Court said was not seditious. It may be unpalatable, it may not be acceptable to some people, but it is not seditious behavior. Uh, so we, we have this very, very uh, informed, robust law, which says that sedition can be invoked only with respect to those actions which have led to violence or which have a deep connection with violence. Now, if you put together a toolkit and you're trying to connect it to the uh, events of the 26th of, of, of January, which despite the major media narrative uh, or, or was really a largely peaceful day. I mean, you had the, uh, the few instances where, uh, where cops and, and farmers entered into some kind of a fight. But if you look at it, uh, nothing was burned, nobody except one uh, farmer lost his life. Uh, uh, no one uh, was critically wounded or injured. 
Uh, and in any case, what is that? What is the connection between the toolkit and uh, uh, what happened in Delhi on the 26th of January? Now, unless the police is going to find direct links to any acts of violence, um, I'm, I, I'm not sure whether this is sustainable in, in any way. Now, you can keep saying that uh, they have links with some anti-national forces and people who are trying to, but that must be tangible. That must uh, withstand judicial scrutiny. And I've seen case after case fall like nine pins because all this grand, grand pronouncements that, are, that, are made, that is made during investigation doesn't add up as tangible evidence in court and therefore people are never convicted. So is this just a ploy to silence people or do you have tangible evidence? Uh, I, 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 I will wait for that. I don't think so as, as, as it stands at the, at the present moment, but I will again repeat, I'm not familiar with the exact facts of the case, but that in order to invoke section 124A, you have to show something more than a toolkit. The questions revolving the legality of Disha Ravi's arrest are still up in the air, but her arrest does signify a significant moment for the right to protest in India given the criminalization of what is now a standard practice in protests around the world. In particular, it could have a major impact on the fight against climate change, which is being led around the world by young activists like the Sharavi. The question is, will her arrest create a chilling effect on people like her when it comes to the activism? Remembering that the NIA had even filed a UAPA case against Indian climate activists last year, before hastily withdrawing it. The way in which the courts will now assess the arrest of Disha Ravi could play a crucial role in determining these matters going forward. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts. 